The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open it to Luke chapter 5. Returning there, I want to tell you about a little incident that I had, that me and my family had one time. This was on December 24th of 2009 or 2010, I don't remember which, which exact Christmas Eve it was, but we were living in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and we were going to go to uh, go to see Ann's parents in South Dakota in Sioux Falls the next day. So we heard that there was this winter storm uh, coming across, so we decided to leave a little early. We left Cedar Rapids a little early. It's about a it's about a seven or eight hour drive from Cedar Rapids to Sioux Falls. So we left and started driving. And the weather was pretty good for a while. So we were feeling, we were feeling happy that we, that we left earlier than, um, than we had planned. But as we, as we turned and we went west on Interstate 90, of course, the wind was blowing out of the north and the snow drifts started to blow across, across the interstate. The plows couldn't keep up. Um, so if you're like me, what that means is when you see a snowdrift, you act like you have a snow, um, snow blade on the front of your van, and you just drive right through them, right? Because, I mean, you make it, so how bad can it be? How awful can it be? So you just keep driving across these snowdrifts, and everything's fine. Well, of course, it gets dark, and it gets colder outside, and we are listening to the radio, and they start talking about how in South Dakota, uh, I-90 is closed, and so we're like, we have, we have to hurry up. We, we want to get to, um, we want to get to where Ann's parents are and snow drifts are coming across and I'm still driving through like, I don't know, it's driving a minivan. Okay. So it's not like I'm driving a Humvee or anything like that. So I'm driving a minivan. Well, as I'm hitting these, um, that was no shade on you, Austin. Um, as I'm driving across like these snow drifts, as they get, get, get bigger and bigger, occasionally I hear um, I hear the sound of what sounds like um, like your, your your belt, like your fan belt on your car, makes this little squealing noise. Well, again, because I'm John Mulholland, I just do whatever I want, and I just keep driving, not paying any attention, any of that kind of stuff. It's like one o'clock in the morning, and and we hit one of these we hit one of these snowdrifts, and we hear that squealing noise. And a couple minutes later, I look down, and the and the temperature gauge on the van. Um, gets like really hot, right? So we, we pull off on the side of the road um, and I look in the <laughs> engine compartment and of course the engine compartment is filled with snow from all of the drifts that I had been hitting on this way and I see that the, that the belt ha- has, come off, has come off the pulley. Well, on that particular engine, there's, there's only one belt and that controls anything or everything, including the water pump, which means... The car is not getting, um, you know, the engine coolant isn't going through like it's supposed to and all that kind of stuff. So kind of my idea is uh, at this point we are, we're a little bit outside of this town um, named Worthington, Minnesota. We were to the east of it. And my idea is it's cold enough outside and we had like 45 minutes to drive. So my idea is I think, I think we can maybe drive for like 10 minutes and then the engine will get warm and then we'll turn it off and we'll sit on the side of the road, right? This makes all kinds of sense when you have your wife and three kids with you. Um, so we start to do that. Well, 
the, the time with which the engine was getting hotter was getting less and less and less. So we made it past Worthington about 10 miles. And, and then we realized at this point, like, we recognize we haven't seen any cars coming from the west in quite a while. And so we pull over on the side of the road, and, and, we real, and, and we, we're not going to drive the van anymore. We can't, we can't do this. And by this point, it's like 1 o'clock, 1.30 in the morning, and it's so cold outside. I think the wind chill was one of those Minnesota wind chills of like 40 below, uh, something like that. And the thing that is going through my mind is um, this is going to be a Lifetime Movie Network movie. Where, where the husband like wanders off to go into town to save his family, and they find him the next day frozen to death um, when the state patrol comes by and picks him up. So we made the decision to call, uh, the call and uh, state patrol came out, and tow truck came out, and they towed us back into Worthington. And the people there uh, were, really, were really great in, in taking care of us. Uh, we had our dog along with us. And the hotel normally didn't, that we stayed in the hotel normally didn't allow dogs, but kind of our situation they did. And the next day was, was Christmas Day, and we're like, we're like 40 minutes from Ann's, from Ann's parents' house, and we're just trying to figure out like how we're going to get there. Well, one of Ann's uncles was a mechanic in a smaller town in Hills, and he called a, an auto parts store in Worthington, Minnesota, the owner of an auto parts store, on Christmas Day, and basically said, if... If you don't get these people back on the road, I'm never going to buy auto parts from you again. <laughs> so it really does matter who you know. Like, that's a really good thing. Um, so this guy came, and they, they, put our, um, they put our belt on. And, and the funny thing was we actually got to Ann's parents' house about the same time we would have if we had left when we wanted to. So it was like there was nothing late. And, and I say that because... Because we were in a in a legitimate we were in a legitimate rescue situation, um, having our family or my wife and, and our three kids and, and our dog, um, which I would have been okay if the dog would have passed away, but that's okay. Um, we were in a we were in a legitimate rescue situation. We needed um, we needed to be rescued. And I wonder I wonder if some of you have ever had a situation like that where, where you legitimately needed, needed to be rescued. This, this month of March is our, is our Faith Promise Month, and it's time where we give extra attention to the missions that we support at Westway Christian Church. And not just financially, but we have different missions that we actually send people to. We had a team uh, go to Haiti at the, end of, at the end of January, and another team goes to Haiti in October. And we don't want to just talk about the missions that we support. We want to do some things to, to be actively engaged with them. Because I think in our, in our culture, it can be very easy for us to, to support missions by, by writing a check or to support missions by making a financial donation. And that's, and that's absolutely necessary. And, and we need to hear and we need to know that, that participating with the finances that God has given us in the mission means that, that we're going to give money to the different missions that, that we support. But that's not all there is to missions. And I think it can be easy for us to find this space that says, well, I write a check to Faith Promise every month or however often you do that. It can be real easy for us to, to get in this mindset where we write a check and then we check the missions box. 
Yep, I'm participating in God's mission to the world by giving a check. And what we want to do this month is, is we want to see what God is doing in the world. And we want, we want to be activated, and that's where our theme comes from. We want to be activated by God and actually go and join him on his mission. So then that begs the question, well, what is, what's God's mission? What, what does that mean that God has a mission? And one of the places where we can learn about God's mission is in John three sixteen and 17, and it says this, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. So what's, what's God's mission? God's mission is rescue. God's mission is to rescue people who need it. And we really have to work hard to remember that this is God's purpose. We have to work hard to remember that this is what God's mission is for us, is to rescue. And it's partly what Mike talked about last week in his message. We want to set our sights on the realities of heaven. And one of the realities of heaven is God is, God is on a rescue mission. The people that are going to join him in eternity and for eternity are people who have been rescued. And God's mission, because it's a mission to rescue people, he's, he's not just calling us to join him. I think sometimes we hear that and we think, well, God is calling us to join him. God desires us to join him. God really, really, really wants us to join him. I would say God's expectation is that we join him. He doesn't just want us to join him. He doesn't just desire that we would join him. He expects us. It is an expectation to join him in this rescue mission. And I think there are so many times, and it's so easy for us to not be on that mission. It's so easy for us to not join God in what he's doing. And because, because we've forgotten what this, what this mission is, what we do is we make Christianity, we make our relationship with God about everything but the mission. We think of, we think of things that we do together as a body in, in terms of like the music style on a Sunday morning. And, and we, don't get, we get off mission of rescuing people and we think about the music style. Or the wrong person's in the pulpit. Like, like, you, like people come and they expect to have one person in the pulpit because that's the person that's always in the pulpit and then somebody else is in the pulpit and I don't know what to do with that, so that's what I get, that's what I get worked up about. What God is calling us to get worked up about are the people who need to be rescued. And I know I've said this phrase at least 82 times over the last couple years, but when we forget our purpose and we forget our mission, we make life about ourselves. We make life about our own preferences and our own place and our own power. And I'm never going to not say that. So if you're looking for, if you're looking for a month to go by where, where John doesn't say that phrase, I'm never going to not say that. Because we have to remember what God's mission is for us. We have to remember the purpose. 
Because the whole time we are caught up in ourselves, the whole time we are caught up in our own preferences and our own power and our own place and our position, when we live in that space, we forget that there are a lot of people who need to be rescued in our community. There are people in our community who need to be rescued from addiction, from drug addiction and from porn addiction. We have people who are addicted to power and control in our community. We have people who live in Scottsbluff County who need to be rescued from their affluence. And here's, here's what that means. They need to be rescued from their money. They need to be rescued from the fact that their God is their money. We have people who need to be rescued from affluence. We have people who need to be rescued from their self-righteous religiosity and their morality. Those people need to be rescued. And maybe that's some of us. We need to be rescued from our own self-righteousness, from our own sense of morality. We talked about that a few weeks ago. There are people in our community who, who are looking for rescue from the systems and structures that seem to be aligned against them, from the systems and structures that seem to be designed to keep them down. There are people who are looking for justice to be done. And to a lot of people in our world, it seems like no one is listening to them. It seems like no one is hearing their cry for justice. And the prophet Habakkuk puts it this way. This is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you don't come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed, and there's no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that justice has become perverted. We want justice. We want deliverance. We want rescue. And God wants justice, too. And at some point, we're going to talk more about this, but, but the way God wields justice looks vastly different than the way we think justice ought to be wielded. Justice for God looks like, looks like a stuttering man who is going to deliver the Israelites. The justice of God looks like a woman with a tent peg. Justice to God looks like a boy with five stones and a sling. And 700 years after Habakkuk writes this text that I just read, justice arrives in a manger in a town called Bethlehem. And from the very start, Jesus and everything he is doing, his form of justice is completely misunderstood. I wonder if you've, if you've actually looked at the way Jesus does ministry, especially early ministry. And I think if we were to look at that from, from 2019, and we were to see someone coming along and doing ministry in the way that Jesus did, especially at the start, we would think to ourselves that Jesus has no idea what he's doing. 
Jesus clearly doesn't understand how to grow a church. Jesus clearly doesn't understand who he ought to be talking to. His first followers were fishermen. His first followers were people who were mentally and emotionally and physically needy. Those were his followers. And the strange thing is, is he wanted to be around them. They were the outcasts of society. And Jesus is going about this whole Christianity thing all wrong when we think about how we would grow a church. He didn't flee from all of these needy people, but he went to them. Because his mission was to rescue people. See, Jesus never lost sight of what his purpose was. Jesus was out to rescue people who needed him. He was out to rescue outcasts. And one of these outcasts we can read about in Luke chapter 5. This is verse 27. Later, as Jesus left the room, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. As we think about this interaction that Jesus has with this man, with this tax collector, it's important for us to understand the role of tax collectors in Jesus' day. They were literally some of the worst people you could imagine. This isn't like somebody that just works for the IRS. Okay? This is someone who who was a Jew and who was a traitor. And not just a traitor, not just collecting money for the Romans, not just collecting taxes, but through his work, he was funding the occupation. See, when, when an army goes overseas... Somebody has to pay for that. So what the Romans did at this point was they found people to be tax collectors. So the tax collectors would come around and they would take money from you and that would go to Rome and they would be funding the people that were occupying your nation. And I want you to imagine what that would have been like to know that. That the reason this Roman army was here oppressing you and persecuting you, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, killing your Killing people that, that were your people, the reason they're doing it is because you're funding it. You're giving them money to pay for that. And these tax collectors, they would have been, they would have been masters of extortion, right? Because anything they get to keep when they take money from you that they don't pass on, they get to keep. And I wonder how many, for how many of them that, that helped them with their guilt, that helped them through the struggle that they were having how do I, how can I do this thing? Oh, that's right, I can buy nice stuff. And I wonder how many of us, when we think about our affluence and we think about our 
money. How many of us buy things because it makes us feel better? Let's be honest, that's all of us, right? All of us live in this emotional space where we feel bad until we go buy something and then magically we feel better. And I think that's the space that these tax collectors were living in. And when Jesus takes his rescue mission to Matthew, I love, I love what Matthew does. He invites Jesus to a party. And then he invites all of his other sinner friends, the worst people of society, to come to that party with Jesus as the guest of honor. And I think the reason that happens is because Matthew or Levi at this point knows that he's been knows that he's been rescued. And people who have been rescued will celebrate their rescuer. People who have been rescued will celebrate their rescuer. And as we, on a Sunday morning, as part of what we do is we sing songs, I would ask you maybe to look inwardly for a moment and ask yourself when it comes time for us to sing songs, Are we celebrating our rescuer? Are we focused on him? And I love what Jesus does. Because he's on a rescue mission, not just for Levi, but for his friends, Jesus goes to the place where he's not supposed to go, where he shouldn't go, where the people would condemn him for going. Because Jesus wasn't concerned what other people might think about him. Because Jesus was on a rescue mission. And another thing, I love, just, I love this text. It's so awesome. Like, instead of talking to Jesus about it, the Pharisees and the teachers in the law, they go to his disciples. Did you notice that? Because they know if they confront Jesus, they know what Jesus is going to say. So they have, they have perceived this, like, this disparity in leadership. So they're not going to go to Jesus and talk to him about this. They're going to go around to Jesus. They're going to go to his disciples. He eats with sinners. He's eating with the wrong people. Why is he doing that? And Jesus, Jesus is just not interested in the games that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law say. The healthy don't need a doctor. The sick do. So Jesus is acknowledging a truth about Levi and his tax collector friends and his notorious sinner friends, as it says elsewhere in Scripture. He's acknowledging a truth. He's saying, yeah, they're sick. They are sinners. You are absolutely right, Pharisees and teachers of the law. They are sick. And what they need is to be rescued. When Jesus has this conversation with them, the Matthew version of this story, Jesus is quoting Hosea 6, 6. And I want to read to you Hosea 6, 6. I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. See, what Jesus is doing is Jesus is offering people who have been rescued, he is offering them real participation in his kingdom. He's offering them real participation in his kingdom. He's offering them steadfast love and the knowledge of who God is. 
And what the Pharisees have done, what the teachers of the law have done, and what Christians, many Christians today have done, is instead of wanting an, an actual relationship with Jesus, what many Christians want is rules and regulations. They find satisfaction in the offering. They find satisfaction in the do. And what Jesus is calling them to is something else. Jesus is calling them to relationship. And there are some people that are quite content with people being rescued and coming to Jesus as long as they do it within the rules. But Jesus is after so much more. God's justice is to seek and save the unworthy. And this is the, this is the messed up part in our minds of how justice works. God's justice is to seek and save the unworthy. We tend to think that God's justice is to rescue us from the bad things that are happening in our lives. And that's partially true. Because partially, some of the things that that are happening in our lives are due to our sin or the sin of other people. And God wants us freed from that. But God's justice looks like coming to people who are unworthy. And Matthew and all of his sinner friends knew that they were completely unworthy. They knew that they were castaways from society. They knew that everyone in their society hated their guts and didn't want anything to do with them. And see, because they put them in that space, they put themselves in that space of recognizing that they had no righteousness, that they were sinners, they were in a perfect spot to be rescued by God. If we go back to my little story earlier, being stuck on the side of the road, like, I didn't want to acknowledge that I needed to be rescued, so I kept driving. But I, I need, we were to the point because there was not much between Jackson, Minnesota and almost and Laverne. That's like 30 miles. There is not much there if you've ever been on Interstate 90. We were to the point where we need to be rescued. So we had to we had to make that call. And because of that, I was in a position to be rescued. I had to put myself out there. And God's mission is not just to rescue people who are sick, but to rescue people who were lost. Let's flip a few chapters to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, verses, uh, verses 1 to 10. And I'll say the paper-turning noise. You just got to know something about me. It's just like so encouraging to hear paper being turned. And maybe you're just flipping through your bulletin. I hope you're going through your Bible. But I love, I love to hear paper being turned. It's, it's, so, it's so encouraging. Jesus entered, this is verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. You know what? I got a better idea. Um, I'm going to ask Shane to come out here for a second. So here's what I want everybody to do. I want you guys to all stand up. You remember that vacation Bible school song? The Zacchaeus song, right? We got some helpers. We're going to do some motions. So we are all going to sing the Zacchaeus song. So 
So when our, when our children were little, especially one of our children, our son John, um, who's here, um, when, when he was little and we would sing that Zacchaeus song, um, when it gets to the end of the song and it says, for we're going to, your, going to your house today, what he thought it said was, we're going to your house to play. So whenever we sang that song at our house, it was, we're going to your house to play. <clears throat> I want to draw your attention to verse 3. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. That verse doesn't exactly do the or the English of that doesn't exactly do the Greek much justice. So this is what it says in the Greek. This is this is really important. As he was seeking to see Jesus, who he was, and he was not able as a result of the crowd because he was short in stature. Don't miss what's going on here. What Zacchaeus wanted was to be with Jesus. I'm going to read it in the Greek again. As he was seeking to see Jesus, who he was, and he was not able to as a result of the crowd because he was short in stature. He was seeking to see Jesus. He wanted to know who Jesus was. He wanted to know who Jesus was. And we are surrounded by people in our community who are in need of the rescue that Jesus offers. And they're just not sure if it's true. It sounds really good. It sounds fantastic, in fact. But they're not sure that Jesus can really deliver. They've heard these stories of Jesus, but they're not sure if he can deliver. And I, I wonder how many people in Scotts Bluff or Gearing or Mitchell or Minotaur or whatever, you, whatever town you live in, I wonder how many people are trying to see Jesus and we have gotten in their way. People who want to know who Jesus is. These are the people that we force to jump through hoop after hoop after hoop to encounter Jesus. We say things like, clean up before you come to church. Don't be like that. Don't look like that. Don't act like that. And Zacchaeus is, is trying to participate in God's kingdom. That's what, he, that's what it means when it says he wanted to see who he was. He wanted to know if, if what he heard about Jesus was true. He wants to participate. And so many of these people that were following Jesus, you can read this as you flip through the rest of the Gospels, and I would just so encourage you to do that. So many of the people that were following Jesus were just there for the food. They were there for the show. They were there for what Jesus was doing to help me today. And Jesus cared about that. Jesus cares about that in your life. 
But Jesus is far more interested in your participation in the kingdom with him than he is anything we might find in him temporarily. And the people demonstrate this in verse 7. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. If your response to people who sin differently than you is to call them a notorious sinner, you're not doing Christianity right. This cannot be what God is calling us to. And the interesting thing is, as we read the rest of this, we just read the part where we sang the song where Jesus comes to his house to play. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if I have cheated people in their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Isn't it interesting that Zacchaeus, the notorious sinner, is the one who repents? Isn't it interesting that he demonstrates life change? And the mission of God is to rescue people. And he is rescuing people who, who maybe some of us think are unworthy of that rescue. Maybe some of us think they are undeserving of that rescue. And I want to go back to my little Minnesota adventure for a second. I was completely undeserving of my rescue. I heard them on the radio talking about the road. I heard them talking about the weather. I saw the snow drifts blowing across Interstate 90. And what did I do? I just kept driving, right? When we called the state patrol, like they would have been, they wouldn't have done this, thank God. But they would have been well within their rights to say, sorry. Why were you out there? Completely undeserving. And when we think that way, it indicates that we, we don't even have the most basic understanding of what God does. When we think that there are people who are coming to him who are undeserving, and it's not fair, and it's not right that those people come to God, when we get caught up in that spot, we indicate that we really don't understand Christianity. We don't understand our state. And see, God has rescued us to be the rescuer of other people. God has not rescued us to be their judge. God has rescued us to participate in the rescue. So what does all this mean for us? Well, once we've been rescued, it means we participate in God's kingdom. Beginning with our steadfast love and our time with Jesus. That's the first thing. If you've been rescued, we spend time with our rescuer. Jesus puts it this way, quoting the Old Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We want to be devoted to that rescuer. And one way that we demonstrate that devotion to him is by being devoted to the others that have been rescued. And that's, that's one another. That's the body of believers. We demonstrate our devotion to God by being devoted to one another. 
and more specifically to the, to the body of believers that you and I belong to. Last week, Joe and Cheryl and Anne and I were in Southern California at a, at a conference for spiritual grandparenting. One of the things that we are excited to bring back from that conference is how we can equip people at different stages of life in the discipleship of others. And here at Westway Christian Church, we, we believe that discipleship starts at home. So we went, to, we went to this conference in California, and I know that was really terrible to pick that in February, in January, or February. But we went there because we want to know how to equip our body to, to engage people in discipleship. And we made the decision after, after the conference to go. We went to church on Saturday of last week. Um, and as soon as, we, as soon as we made that decision to go to church on Saturday, I began to have all of this, like all of this tension began to build and this anxiety began to build. And I couldn't quite put a, couldn't quite put a finger on it. So we had like all kinds of conversations about, should we go to church on Saturday? Is it okay to go to church on Saturday? Do you have to go to church on Sunday? Like we just had all of these big conversations as we're driving to church. And it was really kind of cool to be able to have a conversation with someone um, about that. And we went, we got there and before the, before their service time started, like this anxiety was still there. And during the whole time the service was going on, this anxiety was there. And then afterwards, the, the anxiety only increased. So when we went out to dinner that night, we talked about the whole thing and couldn't really figure out what was going on. Like, why was I feeling all of this anxiety in my body about going to church? This doesn't make any sense to me. And then on, on Monday morning, during our weekly staff meeting, it all made sense. As we sat down and, and we listened to Mike and Shane talk about last Sunday, and, and we explained our, the, the, the thing that we did on Saturday with this other church, and I figured out what the anxiety was. And this is what it was. I wasn't with you. And that doesn't mean I wasn't in the pulpit it doesn't mean I wasn't doing my job that day. It means I wasn't with you. It means I wasn't with the body of believers that I have been called to participate in as a Christian. That's what it was. I wasn't with you. I wasn't with my body. I missed you. I longed for you. I yearned for you. And maybe that's weird for you to hear, but I, like, I wanted to be here. And I had no idea that that's what it was until Monday when we were talking about this. This is what I missed. You were what I missed. Because I'm not, because I'm not in relationship with Eastside Christian Church in Anaheim, California. You know what? There are Christians there. We worship Jesus. We read the Bible. We prayed. We took communion. We gave an offering, like we did all of the normal church things. But I'm in relationship with you. I'm on mission with you. I'm participating in God's kingdom with you. And when I'm not here, like, I don't miss this, I miss you. It was really weird to process this, and, and I think that that's how, 
God feels only magnified times infinity towards his people. Especially people that he's trying to rescue, that he wants to rescue, that he wants us to join in his rescue mission. I think he yearns for them. I think he wants them. And I think he's going to do whatever it takes to get them. Because he wants participation. And we honor God and we honor one another when we join in his rescue mission. When we participate in what he's doing. We've been rescued to be rescuers. And I think what that means is we have to get, we have to get out of our houses and we have to be in relationship with people who need to be rescued. We have to spend time with them. And here's, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to wait for us to program this for you. So if you're, if you're waiting, yeah, John, that sounds really good. Tell us what to do. Okay? We're not going to program this for you. We want you to go and be in relationship with people. We want you to encounter people who need to be rescued. A few weeks ago, there was this, this women's event in, in Scotts in the Valley. It was called If Valley, and it was hosted by Gearing Zion in, in, in partnership with a number of other churches. They had 120 women participate, including some from Westway Christian Church. This was not just, hey, let's get together a whole bunch of women and we're going to hear all of these things and then we're going to go and we're going to do nothing with it. If Valley was about motivating them to join in what God was doing in, in Scott's Bluff. And last week, um, Becky, Becky Jones and Laurel Andrews called me and they wanted to know if we could, we could get together. And, and so we met on Tuesday and what they want to do is they want to they want to host dinner and conversation in their homes with other women in the valley. Not just people from Westway Christian Church. Not just people from other churches, but people who don't know Jesus. They, had, they, they felt like they were asking me permission for that, to be able to, to host people in their homes. See, Becky and Laurel, they're not waiting for us to program a rescue mission. They're not waiting for us to tell them how to rescue people. They're just going to go do it. And see, here's the thing that I know is true about 2019. Our church doesn't have any more time for programming. I, I don't have any more time for programming. You do not have more time for programming. But they have two hours for a meal. You have two hours for a meal. I have two hours for a meal. And God's mission is to rescue people. I love the way Paul writes this. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. It doesn't matter what your background is. If you have been rescued, you are in. You might be a porn addict. You might be a lover of money. You might have the worst reputation in town. And what I want to tell you is, is God is offering you rescue. God desires to rescue even you. Even me. I don't know what is going on in your specific life. 
but I'm telling you that God is here to rescue you. He's offering that. He's not only wanting to rescue you, but he has rescued you through Jesus. He's offered that rescue to you. And it was because of that intense burning desire for relationship with every single one of us that he sent Jesus to die for us so that we could be rescued. God is on a rescue mission. And what, what he wants from us is to acknowledge that we need to be rescued. Let's pray. God, some of us are sitting on the side of Interstate 90 and it is freezing cold. And we are in need of a rescuer. I ask God that for the people who need to acknowledge that today, that they would. That they would call out to you. For those of us that have filled our lives with other things, with other rescuers, that only leave us empty, help us to see that you are the only rescuer that we need. God, for those of us who have been rescued, help us to see our role as rescuing other people. Help that to be our mission. Help that to be our focus. And we ask, God, that you would would activate us for our work. And it's in your son's name that I pray. Amen.